Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime Made other movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Danny Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The B-Side for the Film Stage. As always, I'm Dan Mech here with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you? I am okay. Uh, yeah. Rough this, weekend for you. Yeah, it's been a little wild. I was, I was punched in the head by a stranger this weekend. We live so, in that new So that was, an, that was an interesting experience, but I am okay. Um, live in that New York life. Yeah, um, that Bo is Afraid life, you know? Yeah, Bo is Afraid, yes. Which a movie I have not yet seen. Funny enough, way less interestingly... Um, just for any people getting older out there, um, if you want to just continue to be humbled and just knock down a peg, play in a basketball league. Just do it every <laughs> Sunday. You will um, Feel really. Is that? <laughs> you'll just really be reminded that uh, you are old. And, well, hey, look, you know, between the Tom two of us, says, it's like play basketball or get punched in the face. And either, yeah, either I'll take the basketball. Either one of those will definitely recalibrate you for sure. Oh, it's it's tough. <laughs> but you know what though? We 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 uh we push on. Boats against the current. Um bu- 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 you bu- know what it so, is? it's a challenge. Go ahead. It is the challenge. So great segue. Um as all listening probably already know this is the b-side where we talk about movie stars or movie directors, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today is special because we got to talk to John Sales, the incredible indie filmmaker, uh, editor, writer, director. Uh, Maggie Renzi, his lifelong uh, partner, is often his producer. And he's made so many films, um, all of them in the independent space. Uh, he started with The Return of the Secaucus 7. He made... Um, Movies like Mate One, he made Eight Men Out. These would be kind of a, a more A sides. He made yeah, Passion, Passion Fish. Fish. He, you know, his early '90s into mid '90s run is really kind of I think where it really he was at his height, which makes sense because that was really the indie boom in America, right? Like City of Hope, Passion Fish, Secret of Roninish. Lone Star. And the reason that we got to talk to him is because they Criterion has released Lone Star. And if you're yes. listening to this, you can get it. Um, it it's is there. available yeah. in 4K and Blu-ray, I believe. Yes. In both. Yeah. Um, and so beautiful artwork, beautiful presentation, beautiful essays as per usual. And um, yeah, we got a chance to talk, talk with him for about 25, 30 minutes about a lot of stuff. And it was cool because I, we don't want to take too much time here. We want to jump into it because it's a great conversation kind of a sprawling conversation. We got to talk with him about The Challenge, which was the John Frankenheimer movie that we kind of snuck into our Tashira Mafune episode, which is one of our favorite episodes of the B-side. Indeed. And The Challenge was this kind of crazy, basically action movie where it was like Scott Glenn, Tashira Mafune, set in Japan, uh, modern Japan, but like with like these kind of old samurai way, samurai ways, and it's 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 a mishmash. Doesn't quite work. I think we talked about it. 
uh, when we talked about it, but it is a curio. It is fun. And sales has like, we kind of decided in the 11th hour, like, let's ask him about it because he wrote on it for, you know, allegedly a weekend and he kind of confirmed yeah, some of in, that he confirmed it, some of that just for the listener too like in his writing career he has a number of like r- you know writing credits whether they be credited or uncredited well he's openly talked yeah. about you know and i think as he's gotten older he is more of a kinship to these works but over his career he's openly talked about writing on studio pictures to support the indie films right so Early on, writing credit on Alligator, right? Uh, Piranha. The movie with Robert Forster, Piranha. Yeah. Later on, he did a pass on Mimic, the Guillermo del Toro yep. movie. He did. He's, I think, the only credited writer on the Spiderwick Chronicles, yeah. which was like a big kids movie that came out in the aughts. And like, and then, and then to your point, a bunch of movies, you know, he mentions a couple offhandedly, like, that have never gotten made. And then even not even to mention, and we talk a little bit about this too, he started as a novelist, right? Union Dues was, was an early book of his. And then the I, I did get a chance to read one of his books kind of in the prep, and it was his book from 2020 called Yellow Earth, which is kind of a fracking epic, right? Which, and he kind of says, I don't want to spoil the interview, but he kind of says, which I feel like is kind of somewhat open knowledge. So often with some of these books, he has this new kind of sprawling, you know, British Empire epic that's out, I think, only last year. And we'll link to a lot of this in the article. Um, um, <laughs> he, I think it's called Jamie McGillivray. Um, he, he, he'll like, he'll work on screenplays, he'll work on projects. And at a certain point, he like will realize he's not going to get the funding. And so he'll just write. Yeah, the story just, is a novel, yeah, right? Yeah. Which I love, you know, because it's like he wants to know how it turns out. Like, I totally get it. I, it kind of bums me out a little because part of me is like, somebody's give this man some money, please. Yeah, like, but you know what? You know, and it's funny. I wanted to get into this with him and we didn't have time, but I will link to an interview. He did a book reading of Yellow Earth and then he did a Q&A after up in, I think, Boston. And he talked, somebody asks him, about the streaming, about streaming, and this is three years ago, so a little different, but they kind of posit the question like, well, it must be nice. And this is like, I don't want to bash the cue, the, the, you know, the, the person who asking the question, but they basically frame the question like, it must be easier to make movies now with all the streaming, right? And I think this person probably doesn't realize asking it that like Go for Sisters was made in 2013 and he like hasn't been able to make anything for a, right. you know, at right. the time, nearly a decade now, over mm-hmm. a decade. And, um, and he very kind of intelligently, calmly, you know, as you'll hear in the interview, explains like kind of the, the gift and the curse of of the quote unquote streaming wars and the streaming you know era, which is kind of now not coming to an end, but like constricting it, it feels, and kind of evolving yeah, into it feels, basically feels like cable. we're over some kind of apex at this point. We're on like a you know the other end of and it. Almost. Weirdly, and and this is once again, if we had had another twenty minutes, you're almost like, and maybe if we had talked to Maggie, right, who's his producing partner and his life partner, like. Maybe in a world where like Sony is going to make a boatload from anything but you, anyone but you, right? You know, right? Sure. You you have these mid tier movies doing well. Now, Lord knows, John Sales isn't making anyone but you. But like, maybe we'll see in these upcoming years. Maybe the specialty studio market stuff will come back. You know, Searchlight's still hanging on. 
you know, now is part of Disney, but still doing their stuff. Focus is still hanging out. You know, I mean, I find with that, that stuff that would be how you'd get yeah. like two more sales movies, like like really like actual like, you know, like Limbo is a movie we talk right. about. Like yeah. that movie could no way could get made right now, but maybe in two years, I you get think... a bigger star than Strathairn. You get like an actual star. Yeah. The problem with sales is like, and you know, you'll hear in the interview like. He wants the exact right actor, and he, I don't know that he's ever going to really make that compromise. And I think the point of the of the of the writing the other screenplays and the writing the novels and the doing the other work is so he doesn't have to do that, right? So yeah. he's like, I I want it to be Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in my movie Limbo. I want it to be, you know, all the supporting characters to be like local fishermen people in Alaska. Right. Like I don't want it. To, I don't want to have to have it have to be josh gad so for the sake of somebody yeah, some can make deal. some sell about yeah. oh he's he's the snowman in frozen so it'll bring in this you know what i mean like yeah. and i you know you get a lot of respect obviously you respect the hell out of him for that stuff but but the give and the take of it is obviously like i wonder would i have rather had an extra sales movie with josh gad in it i, I probably would <laughs> i don't know that feels feel like bad. a sorry that josh feels gad. that feels total, like that feels like a, total a weird monkey's paw i have no me. problem with josh gad i just i pick someone and poor kids walking around like he's got josh a pain gad in his gut. is fine he's fine he's doing he's just fine. fine frozen threes in development he'll be fine <laughs> um he's in the he was in that broadway show um with uh Reynolds. uh okay so why don't we go to the interview? We kind of just, you know, we, we go, we bop around, but we do hit Limbo. We hit a little bit of Amigo, which was from 2010, and, which is super interesting. Yeah, a little bit of Go we for Sisters. Very yeah. little bit of Go for which Sisters. Which is the last we talk film about that he made, that he directed. The last film that he made, Lisa Gay Hamilton, Eddie Jimmy almost, And, um, and uh, oh my God, I cannot think of the other actress's name. F forgive I me. I got you. I got you. Tell me, tell me her you. name. She's amazing in it. Yolanda um, Ross. Thank you. Yolanda Ross. Amazing in it. That's like a three-hander. That's incredible. Um, and really the one I really want to, I really want to underline. Like the really is good. And nobody ever talks about it. And it really bothers me because I rewatched it and felt so vindicated. It's a freaking absolute banger. It's a kidnapping thriller. It's a borderland movie. It's so freaking good, I think. Anyway, enough about us. Let's go to sales. John, thanks for being here. Obviously, you, you know, the, the reason we're talking is because Lone Star, your great film from the mid-90s, is officially a Criterion movie available in 4K, available in Blu-ray. Um, Rewatching it, it really just, it, it stands the test of time so well. I wonder, you've made so many films, you've written so much, is is does with something like Lone Star, does legacy ever factor into your mind? Are you can, like, it's not a worry, but it like something like Lone Star is a certified classic. Is that just something that's nice, and you're just going to keep trying to tell new stories, or you just how, how is that? Yeah, I think what you know, you make you write books, in my case, and you make movies for them to be seen or read, and yeah. uh. To me, they're unless somebody is looking at them, they're just things, you know. Sure. And then they come alive when anybody is looking at them, and it may be at home, it may be in a movie theater, or whatever. So, right. what you hope is that um, your movies don't disappear. I see, 
I said, I'm still seeing movies from the 30s and 40s I never saw before. And I go, geez, that's a good movie. How come I've never heard of that? Yeah. How come it hasn't been available for years and years and years? Um, I was right. talking the other night with um, uh, Ron Perlman, and you know he was working with Guillermo del Toro, and Guillermo was like seeing every movie in the world, right. um, but you know he hadn't seen Nightmare Alley, and <laughs> and they ended up watching it on a really crummy, you know, somebody who stayed up late at night and taped it off of a TV, <laughs> um, you know, and so that 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 the original is really worth seeing. So That's what you point. hope. You know, with any movie, uh, Lone Star is probably the movie that got seen the most when it first came out. Right. Because Castle Rock actually put some money into it. Sure. Unlike most of our distributors um, <laughs> who just got, kind of stuck it in the system and forgot about it. Um, but, it, you know, you want them to be available in some way. And if they're packaged in an interesting way, it might be with a couple other movies. It might be, you know, Criterion Collection who... Who do a nice job of you know um, kind of vetting things and you know they've done things where oh here's here's seven movies with the same production designer yes yeah and right. you actually say wow he was good you know yeah, but yeah. he worked in Europe and the United States or whatever it's a nice way to to bring people into a movie here's yeah seven movies with this actor in them or whatever you know right they have a lot of great on the channel there's a lot of great collections um, no I wanted to since. Uh, we are the B-Side Podcast. I wanted just to ask you, because we, we we did, one of our subjects a couple of years ago was Toshiro Mifune in one of our mm -hmm. favorite episodes. And we talked about, we tried to cap, we tried to capture, you know, you know movies from his his long career. Yeah. And we, we talked about the challenge uh -huh. with him and Scott Glenn, and you have a writing credit on that. Right. I'm just curious, do you have any... Memories of that? I mean, it was so long. Oh, yeah. I, I was brought in um, to do a rewrite. Um, I came out to Los Angeles and met with John Frankenheimer, who was a huge fan of Jan, John Frankenheimer's. And he had had a really rough patch. So it was like, a. a he said to me, you know, kid, I need this picture. I need, you know, a comeback picture to, to show people that I'm, I, I'm still kind of in the game. Right. And... Uh, the mandate that I got was, A, it's Thursday. There's a director's guild strike coming up. On Monday, Scott Glenn has to say he'll do it, and then they will green light it, and Frankenheimer can get it made before the director's guild strike. Oh, interesting. So you you have the weekend, basically, to, <laughs> to get this thing. We have to get it to Scott. He has to say yes. No pressure. The other part of it is... Um, it, the, the, the script we're giving you, it's okay, but it's all Chinese people. And, and I, I work with Tashir Mifune in Grand Prairie yeah. and I can get him to do this again. Uh, make all the people Japanese instead of Chinese. And oh, I said, well, you, you know, that the, you know, the cultures and the martial arts are very, very different. You know, that Chinese martial arts are very circular and you know, sure. Japanese martial arts are very, you know, forward and backwards and. Luckily, I'd, I'd read a lot about that stuff already just because I was interested. And he said, yeah, I can get to Shirobufuni and make them all Japanese. <laughs> right. And so I, I I did a very intensive rewrite in three days. I was staying in a little you know strip hotel on the Sunset Strip, and I would literally call the, the desk and say, will you give me a wake-up call in 45 minutes? Oh, I love uh, it. And I would you know, sleep. 
for 45 minutes and then go jump in the swimming pool and come back and write some more. <laughs> so, That's and then, and then uh, I handed it, I put it at the desk and I said, you know, call this number. I'm going to the airport. You know, they're going to come pick it up. And I got home. And uh, by the time I got home, um, Maggie said, well, two things. The Writers Guild strike, which was going to come before the director's strike, has been moved back a week. Oh, okay. And therefore, Scott Glenn just said, yes, John Frank and Neumann wants you to come to Tokyo and and do a, a polish on the draft. I was going to ask, okay. Yeah. I went I went there, and then uh, mostly John was casting local people upstairs, and I and he'd give me notes on the 20 pages I'd sell up to him or something. And I'm a fast writer, so that wasn't the problem. Um, he did say, you know, Toshiro's, he, he's, he's a little sensitive about the fact that he can't say his R's or L's. Sure. So can you take all the R's and L's out of his dialogue? <laughs> and, um, there, there's a scene where Scott Glenn, he, you know, is very left-handed and there are no left-handed samurai. If you watch samurai movies and, you know, sure. They, they barely let any boys be left-handed until they started losing the Little League World Series to left-handed pitchers because they'd never faced one. <laughs> um, and so there, I had written a scene where Tichiro came in and 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 just said, uh, you know, you can't use his left hand, you know, but he can't say the up. And or that's wrong. Well, wrong is an R sound. So finally in the movie, he comes and he looks at him for a minute and he goes, you stink. <laughs> uh, no R's and L's. Uh, I love that. So... Yeah, I, that was a lot of fun. Um, I I did the rewrite. I had to go home because the, the Writers Guild strike did start. And then um, Frankenheimer really did quite a good job. And the the stunt coordinator, Steven Siegel, in yeah. those days, yeah. um, did a really good job too. That's so, right. So, you know, the, the, I, I got to go to Kyoto with Frankenheimer and see that kind of cement pagoda convention building that yeah. the- the final fights are in. Yeah, it's a cool sequence at the end. Yeah. And John does, Frankenheimer did very good action. Um, it, you know, if you think of Black Sunday or some of those things, he did. Yeah. He was actually a very good action director. And uh, Siegel did a very good job of, you know, half samurai, half mattered, modern weapons kind of battle royale. Um, yeah. So it was a good experience, you know, and it's always nice. When you only work four days and the movie the hell's made and you get a credit, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we've, this has come up a bit uh, recently. We spoke with Carl Franklin last year, uh, actually because One False Move was coming out on Criterion, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And I know you worked a bit with Roger Corman. He worked, mm -hmm. I, I, th I think, a little later than you on a yeah. Corman Pictures. Is, is there, we asked Carl this, is there w one thing you learned from Roger that you remember it, either from yeah, what to producer you, you learned it every day, um, which was uh, there are things that you can problems you can solve with creativity and hard work, and then there's those things you just have to throw money at, and those are the things that you don't find in a Roger Corman picture, <laughs> um, you know. So, you know, Roger would basically, you know, he'd, he'd okay a script because he'd paid ten thousand dollars to have it written and. You know, he got three drafts out of that, and he and Francis Dole, his assistant, would have, you know, very good notes, very specific notes. And then that he wasn't going to rewrite a whole lot, you know, or hire new writers. 
And then he'd hand it to director and say, here's your budget, here's your time, uh, make the best movie you can. Right. But you're not getting any more money and you're not getting any more time. And yeah. the things, you know, there might be three action sequences or frontal nudity in one scene. As long as those were in there, he knew he had a good trailer. He wasn't review dependent. They were genre movies. So, you know, he, he kind of knew, okay, this will fit in this spot. And every once in a while, as in the case of Piranha, something would have legs or fins in that case. And yeah. it would, you would stay in the theaters for another two or three weeks. Right. Yeah, Piranha, right. Because you, you, you wrote, for those who don't know, you wrote Piranha. You have a lot of, I mean, you, you have such an amazing career in, in that you, you start as a novelist, right? Union dues. Um, uh, and then um, you started writing these screenplays, which are not, you would not, you know, if, if if those who know you as a filmmaker, they're not John Sayles movies, right? You wouldn't be like, oh yeah, Piranha, of course, you know, yeah. but, but you were, you kind of, you do that work to kind of fund the other work in a lot of respects, right? Yeah, and and you and you and you kind of think, okay, what are the genre movies that I love? You know, what, what I was going to ask is, yeah, is there a genre? Is like as a director, and I feel like the answer is probably no to this, but is there a genre you've always been itching as a as a filmmaker, as a director? Well, yeah. to, to... I've been trying to make a western for about five years, and we're still right. You know, trying to you know cast it and get some money based on the cast or whatever. That's a genre that I've always always wanted to do. One of my favorite movies of this year is the Godzilla uh, Minus One. Yeah, it's a great right? movie. It's yeah. a really good movie. Yeah. And I've seen a bunch of Godzilla movies, and it's one of the best, you know, yeah. easily. And it actually helps to know a little about contemporary Japanese politics and culture sure. to appreciate you know, oh, we're going to use a Godzilla movie, but we're going to talk about some shit that went down. Like, you know, sure. what was that that stuff with the tsunami and the, right. you know, yeah. the yeah. Uh, reactor that might actually kill us all and the government not really telling us that? Um, so, yeah, you, you know, I, I had certainly seen a lot of those genre movies, creature features especially, you know, on TV or in movies, and so I had an appreciation for them. Well, and you and speaking of Guillermo, you helped on Mimic, right? A long yeah, time ago, which was a lot of fun working with him. Um, but you know, the, I've always just kind of felt like with horror movies or whatever is, um, it's not like there's a shortage of horror movies or, or people <laughs> who can direct them. You yeah. know, so if I'm gonna you know do the work and and in many cases invest my own money in something, I'm gonna make something nobody else is gonna make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if it is within a genre in some ways. It's going to be, it's not going to be what you usually think of a, a cookie cutter genre movie. Well, that's a, it's a good segue. We wanted to just, uh, you know, a uh, shout out, obviously, a, a few, a few movies that you could call B-sides, I guess, of yours, you know, Limbo um, with, uh, with David Shatharan. Um What a film. Really, I would just encourage everybody listening to seek it out. That was the one I had not seen, one of the few Films of yours, I had not seen it, and in prepping for this, I watched it, was blown away by. And I wanted just to ask I know uh, you said location sometimes come, mm -hmm. comes before your writing. Mm -hmm. how, how do you even location scout a movie like that? Well, we, we got invited to uh, go up in Alaska and do kind of a seminar thing. And, and uh, part of it, they said, well, we'll, um, we'll pay for your ticket. We can't pay you, but uh, we, have, we have all these people who are going to take you out and do fun things. And so we got a real feel for at least the Juneau area. 
Um, so we went to go fishing with people and, you know, go on a glacier and see a salmon run and those kind of things. And I was just struck of, oh, here's a place in America where you are reminded, even in the capital city, where there are only 40 miles of road, that nature is big and people are small. And how does that affect you? Uh, yeah. um, and unlike most movies that are set in Alaska, we shot in Alaska. And, you know, and so when we went back up to Scout, uh, we already knew a bunch of people. And uh, things that we had seen um, just as tourists, basically, I had already figured there's going to be a scene in there. You know, uh, so many people we know in the Juno area worked on the slime line. You know, they cut the heads off fish and they gutted them and, you know, they have all this stuff on and then they always it down at the end of the night. So, um, you know, I figured, well, that's part of life here. I'm going to have a scene on the slime line and we're going to cast local people who have been on the slime line. So though they know how to do it and aren't going to be going, yuck, you know, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm holding fish guts while I'm right. acting here. Um, so there's that. A, a couple of my movies I have, uh, I know with um, uh, Sunshine State, I went down thinking I was scouting for a movie based on a short story that I had uh, written. I went down to the Redneck Riviera on the west coast of Florida in the Gulf, and it just was, it wasn't there. The, the, the place that I had you know, growing up seeing and had hitchhiked through a bunch of times, it had changed. It had turned from mom and pop tourism to cult to corporate tourism. And yeah. I started thinking about the difference between those. Um, and then I went to, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of uh, Amelia Island uh, because there was this historically black beach there. Um, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, the Spanish came here and built me a fort. You know, I you know it's kind of we could just wander in and and shoot, and then it was used by the Civil War people and yeah. whatever. You know, so sometimes you you're scouting before you even write it, and you find something like Passion Fish is a good example. That 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 house that we shot in at Passion Fish belonged to a musician friend of ours who said, "Oh, you got to stay at our you know the camp tonight." You know, my parents owned it, and we woke up and there were these you know, Spanish moss hanging down and there's the bayou. And Maggie said to me, you know that that movie about the, the woman in the wheelchair and the woman who takes care of her? This is where it should happen. And I said, absolutely. So, so you know, there, there's a certain amount of serendipity, but I also feel like location gives a, a, a feel to the movie. And it's one reason that we try to shoot in, if not the exact place that it happened, in a very similar place. You know, so make one. We didn't shoot literally in make one. It was too hard to get to for one thing, but we shot it in a town that had so many of those looked a lot like it. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's so fascinating because it doesn't really get talked about enough how important location is. It's kind of one of those things you just like assume, which I think is just it's always important. And to... it's sort of like an un, it's it's a an unsung hero in a lot of your movies because I feel like the appeal of of basically all your movies is like their naturalistic humanistic quality, right? They feel mm -hmm. really lived in, right? And like yeah, a lot of that it's to do with both the way you write your characters, but yeah, like even just the locations that they occupy, you feel like those people. You know, you feel like you just showed up with a camera, basically. Yeah. You know, I think I've written five movies set in Chicago, and one set in Detroit, and none of them were shot in either of those two cities. You know, and I shot in Toronto or Montreal or you know, somebody's studio or whatever, and and you lose something. 
you lose some specificity. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, another movie we wanted just to spot check was Amigo, you know, from, I guess it's now like 14 years ago, which, you know, is it comes from part of your novel, A Moment in right. the Sun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a totally, I, I've been reading Yellow Earth, and I have to ask, and nobody listening is going to even, is there's a character named Hardacre in Yellow Earth? Mm-hmm. Is there is in your mind because I know you write character bios. For, yeah. Is that Hardacre related to Chris Cooper in Amigo? Yeah, he's probably a descendant, <laughs> yeah. but but they're not the same guy. Yeah. No, no, I know, I know. There is different times, and when I'm reading it, it's a good yeah. name for both of them. You know? When I'm reading Yellow Earth, I'm like, I feel like the yeah. This might be the same lineage of the yeah. Um, um, that was you know that you know it's kind of an interesting movie in that um, as I got to know more about the Philippine American War, right? Um, one thing that struck me was, well, we won that war, right? But we don't celebrate. How come? And then as you look into it, you realize, oh, well, this is where we learned how to waterboard. Um, right. You know, this is where. The the two people who there was an anti-war movie, quite a you know, uh, 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 you know heavy anti-war movement, which was rare in the United States at that time, and the two kind of letterhead people, the most famous people who were who led it were Mark Twain, because mm-hmm. he thought it was it was just what Americans shouldn't be imperialists, they shouldn't be taking over other people's country. He thought it was really just kind of. This is terrible. This is not what Americans do. And uh, Mrs. Jefferson Davis, who was worried about white boys going over there and burying those brown girls. Oh, okay. Miscegenation, you know. So she was very against that war, you know. <laughs> really um, weird Venn diagram. On yeah, that okay. One. So, <laughs> well, I think they, there were a couple of times when they were on the stage together, you know, kind of wow. like, you know, uh, Timothy Leary and, and uh, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Howard Hunter, one of those water Oh, my God. Sure. Yeah. That's so, so, you know, there, what I discovered was there were, I have only found two movie, two American movies before that made about the Philippine American war. Uh, one is called the real glory and it's, it's basically, um, Gunga Din recycled to another war. Sure. And it's, I think, you know, it's like David Nivens in it and Roderick Crawford and I think Gary Cooper and, uh, the head of the the evil Datu, um, his you know Philippine bad guy is played by a guy who was in the Moscow Art Theater who does a very good job. Um, and then there was another one, Day of the Trumpet or something like that with John Agar, which is a pretty awful movie. I said, "There's two movies. That was it's a big amazing. war in a time." And so I felt like, "Oh, this is history that isn't forgotten. It was buried on purpose." That's something. Yeah, back when that was something you could do, right? Yeah, you know, and and so I I just thought, well, that's interesting. And then because you know through uh, Mario Antal, who'd been an assistant editor uh, that I had worked with, who's Filipino, um, I got to know Joel Torre, who's like their Tom Hanks, yeah. right? Joel, he's and he's like the amic, he's the mayor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And and then they have a real film industry, but I realized, oh. We could make a movie for half of what we could make in the States. And if I make it on a village level, not a war level, right. um, I could make a movie there for a million dollars. And I think we have a million dollars in the bank, you know. 
And you uh, went out there and did it. And we went out there and did it and got to work with a wonderful, wonderful Filipino crew and cast. Um, I, don't, I think we brought, they, at that point, they weren't uh, shooting sync sound for their movies like they used to not do in Italy. And um, so they said, well, bring your own sound people. And then right. they could te teach some of our people how to do it in case. Oh, that's funny. That's cool. Yeah. Do they do sync sound now? Do you know? In a couple of movies they have, but generally yeah. they're just in too much of a hurry to share everything. Yeah, I get everything. But also it's a country with maybe 15 or 16 languages. So when yeah. Joel started, um, he's from Negros, um, and Tagalog was his second language. And he insisted, you know, popular young actor, I'm going to do my own looping. And he would notice that the technicians were turning their backs because they were laughing at his accent. Oh, that's funny. So he did like a, a year or two of really intensive work. So now his Tagalog sounds like he was, you know, you know, born in Manila or whatever. Right. Oh my God, that's so funny. So, so it's you know, all those countries. You know, uh, I I I acted in uh, one of the first sync sound Italian movies um, called Fin de la Notte, um, long, 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 long time ago, and uh, uh, you know, it was like a big deal. People were yeah. talking. While we were shooting, That's one so of them was the producer taking phone calls, and the directors say, "We're shooting sound." Yeah. <laughs> oh, so right. Funny. Shit. You know, I forgot. Um. So we're coming to the end of our time, but I wanted just to shout out, um, "Go for Sisters," an incredible mm -hmm. film, uh, from a you know a few years back now. Just, mm -hmm. I just encourage everybody to seek that out. Some incredible performances in that film, and really to Connor's earlier point, such an important, you know. The location is so crucial. It, it kind of has that border element that Lone Star has in a different way. But it's and then and that was also a good example of me writing a movie. You know, I kind of thought, well, there, it's not that many movies about female friendship, and I, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of young women who, you know, oh, they could go for sisters. They're that, yeah. you know, yeah, what yeah. happens when you've grown apart? But I wrote the movie. And then there were these three actors. I said, oh, this is like, I could get Eddie Olmos to do this, you know? And I could, you know, and then, you know, the two women, I think they're going to be African-American. I got to do a rewrite, you know, and, and work that in. So, you know, it, it was one of those things where, oh, God, we, we had four weeks to shoot it. We had 62 locations in two countries. We had, a, you know, a little less than a million dollars, but everybody was really into it. And it's a road movie, so... You know, you're moving location during Tra the traveling circus. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but just knowing that I had those three actors at the center of it. Yeah, uh, incredible. I got a movie there. We'll let you go. Is there any, is there any B-side of yours, book, script, movie that you would just want to tell everybody, seek this out? Boy, uh, um, trying to think of of what doesn't ever get seen you know uh the, actually the b-sides are all the movies i wrote for other people that should have got made and didn't yeah that's <laughs> oh, a good answer okay. there's, a, there's about 14 <laughs> of them that uh boy i wish somebody would make that whether it you know my my uh last two novels jamie mcgillivray was a screenplay first uh okay. that i wrote for robert carlisle and then 20 years later we couldn't read the money and then i have a book coming out next year called To Save the Man, which is, is set in the, um, the Carlisle Indian School in 1890, and that was a screenplay. So wow. one of the things that happens if you're a novelist and uh, you can't raise money to make movies, you say, 
Jeez, can I write that as a novel? Yeah, I just want to. <laughs> I want to know the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, John, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, Lawrence thanks, Star, You know, Lawrence Star is out there, um, and we really appreciate you uh, you talking about all these movies. Thanks a lot. Okay, take it easy, guys. And we're back. Okay, um, we yeah. did it, guys. Yeah, I mean, we kind of like like you heard, we kind of did a little bit of a speed round on it, but um, sort of like you were alluding to before the interview, Dan. I, you know, I had, I've seen a few of his movies. Most of them were the bigger ones. We even we didn't mention it before, but we even we also covered a movie of his called Sunshine State uh, right. on our on our Angela Bassett episode. So well, he, been, and he did mention the interview. We talked about yeah, locations, yeah, right. and um, and. It so I I've only seen a couple of his bigger movies. I had seen Lone Star, but I rewatched it and prep for this. And whew, what a movie! So if you haven't seen Lone Star, yeah, I mean, hard to argue. It really, and I think he kind of knows this. The more we talked about it, it really is the movie whole prop that'll be like in the first line of the obituary. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It right. feels, I do think you it, have, it feels mean, like he's everything made, he's doing, yeah. everything he does right as a writer and a director it really converges. Is, I yeah. Mean, I, I would even like stuff too, like, like, uh, like, I think Eight Men Out, we didn't get, obviously, yeah. Eight Men Out's like a very big A side. I think Eight Men Out in certain circles is the biggest because just because it's baseball, it's yeah, the Black Sox. Yeah. And I think it ha- Eight Men Out has a little bit more of like, you know, it's also so many, st- I mean, it, you know, I think maybe not quite at the time, but it's, now it's there's so many stars in it right well, it's like right and i, I was gonna say Cusack, like it has a little bit Charlie more Sheen. it feels like it has a little bit more polish on it um you know up, j- i think it was a bigger budget i mean i, yeah. you know, I don't want to put i don't want to presume anything but certainly at the time late 80s i think he's coming off mate one i mean you know um yeah that was certainly a cash in at an indie level for him of a very popular book of a very popular scandal um and I believe as we're recording, it's on Tubi. So I would definitely, if you haven't seen Eight Men Out, it's he's in it, which I love too. Sales is like actually has a very prominent role as Ring Gardner, I think, who is like a real guy, a journalist, who I think is like at the forefront of uncovering the scandal. Yeah, he's right? he's so very he's very he's good really movie, good. Actually. He's kind of yeah. like a he's like a snide, he's got he's, like a he, he's got a couple re- one particular like incredible scene with David Strathairn, who Strathairn is one kind of Eddie one, Chacon, one who is kind of regulars. Yeah, um, yeah Eddie it, Chacon. You know, he was the pitcher, but he was the pitcher. He was kind of the, as it were, he was the ringer. I mean, he, if without him, you know, and they, they've really underlined this in the movie, um, without Chacon, like they wouldn't, they couldn't have thrown the series because it was like, he was, he was having, I mean, he was at the top of, he was older. He was an older pitcher, but he was still an ace. And I think back then, pitchers pitched a lot of innings. And so it's like, if you got one of them, you know, yeah. you could really swing it, and they did, and they did. <laughs> it's, so. it's a wild movie, but again, not not really a B side, but it's definitely pro- to your point. That and Lone Star, I would argue, are probably the two yeah. things that like stick out. Passion immediately. Fish, Another sadly, one, kind yeah. of has fallen. Uh, you know, it, it, more people need to talk about it just because I mean, the astonishing performances from Incre- Alfred Woodard yeah. and Mary, uh, uh, Mary, Mc- not Mary McCormick, Mary McDonald. Mary McDonald. Yeah. I always do that. Uh, one was looking at Plain Sight. One was uh, <laughs> Passion Fish. Um, Aaron McCormick. One was leading the charge for and Str- 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 Andrew Reesborough nomination. Uh, as we're recording, so we should just mention 
as we're recording, Anj- Anjanu. Uh, oh, she's going to get her own to Leslie. She's maybe. getting a little yeah. Francis Fisher push. Yeah. A little. Uh, the fish. It's happening. The passion happening. fish, if you will. Still a couple days left. Still a couple <laughs> days left. I would love it. it would, dude, I would love it if it happened a second year. The Academy would just be like, uh, do we have to like arrest Francis <laughs> Fisher? Or like, what are we going to do? American acting legend Francis Fisher. Um, I forbid it. What is she so good in Titanic? Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, th- we covered a lot. And I think one thing also I wanted just to kind of underline, <clears throat> excuse me, is he really is a great writer, even from even the one novel I read. I will just say, like, he's well reviewed. You know, you can find the Times book review of, like I said, his most recent novel and, and of Yellow Earth. And I do think, you know, I guess a, a knock on him or, you know, I don't know. It was like, I guess I was thinking a lot about this rewatching a few of his movies. I could, you could argue he's like an American Ken Loach. Interesting. Where like his movies are very political. They're like on unabashedly so political, right? Like all something I wanted to get into it with him, but there was God knows there wasn't time. What I think rewatching the movies and watching some new ones, even like limbo, for example, all his movies are about real estate. Like all of his movies well, in some it's, way. They all, they all feel like. Like uh, who owns what yeah, and how much of it do they, they own? Ownership, and, and ownership like, is what I was going to say because it does And like feel, what are the rights to that ownership? It feels like you he know? distills the core. It's America. I mean yeah, that's exactly, his whole. Right. Exactly. He, he distills like the core sins of capitalism basically <laughs> into like all of his movies. Um, in some form exactly. or another, whether that's like gentrification or, and so that's kind of this like pervasive thing. Yeah. And one thing, you know, you and I talked about offline kind of leading up to it is like the thing that astonishes me about his movies is that they, they have this really beautiful literary quality to them. Right. Like they just, the way he decides to thread certain things throughout you know, use certain motifs or use certain elements of like, whether it's symbolism or foreshadowing, whatever he uses, like some, some might say like very heavy handed things here and there in a way that I actually really like. And in a way that I think, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and you think to yourself, you know, maybe a movie that's based on a book and you think to yourself like, Oh, this plays better on the page. Right. Um, but his movies don't have that quality. And in fact, when you watch them, you think like, oh, what book was this based on? And it wasn't right. Like that's sort of like the nature. Exactly. That's a great way to put the, it. The nature and, of his movies. I mean, like I said, Yellow Earth, right? It re- it reads like, I mean, honestly, if you're a fan of his movies, you'll love his books because the books read like, you know, it's like chapters different points of views, right? Different motivations, different, you know, plenty of ex- explanation. Like the the how fracking works has never been explained to me more clearly than in reading yellow earth right and just in like the actual process and like what's being achieved and like why it's not good for the environment right and like it's not over anybody's head it's written for an idiot like me right where you read it and you're like and it's written in the voice of the characters and like you know once again like there's so many things i mean this is the thing i I feel like we kind of always do this but it's but it but you know but it's good to do like had we had more time another question is like there's so many characters like how are you 
even keeping the voices straight. Like, and that goes for the movies. And he writes and like biographies for all of his characters, right. which is like, he, like famously nuts. writes biographies like, for even it, like his it, three so, lines. It so characters. comes through, yeah. like, because you watch his movies and they all, every performance. And again, he has a, a recurring cavalcade of like really talented actors. So that's certainly part of it. But like, every performance right. feels so lived in, right? Like, even in Limbo, which, you know, we've mentioned it a couple times, it's basically a, like a human drama set in Alaska that pivots at a certain point to being like a survival adventure sort of. Um, and it it's with David Strathairn, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and they have such incredible chemistry in that movie. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. But it's to the point where when it makes that pivot in genre, like it almost operates as almost as a horror movie in that regard that's not the genre pivot but structurally like when it makes the pivot you feel the pressure of it because you care about the characters at this point right like you've you've mm -hmm. been watching the two of them kind of start to form this like burgeoning romance um and it's super effective it's like incredibly effective and I just think that's something, I mean, Gopher Sisters is very similar, right? Where it starts and it's kind of this, you know, th that yeah. it's yeah, a very similar structure right. almost where you think it's like going to be just these two sort of long lost friends who reconnect because one of them is on parole and the other one is a corrections officer, a parole, parole officer, parole officer right? yeah, yeah. and that's how they reconnect. And then this sort of third thing comes in, which is this kidnapping of the parole officer. Right, the son. parole officer's son gets kidnapped by and, Mexican criminals. Right. And Edward and James almost comes in. Who, who, who is a disgraced, disgraced, a disgraced retired cop who is going blind, which I, which I forgot forgot about which is such a great touch it's so of like good. he it's can't so good. see it's he can't so see funny. and he i like i watched this one last after watching not only our b-sides but just a bunch of his movies and so it was really cool to watch just because and i think this speaks again both to edward james almost and just sales as a writer director but like it feels like he's been directing almost for decades like it feels like almost is one of his guys Right, like he oh, just yeah, fits. Yeah, 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 he yeah. fits. Well, and so... even like Lisa, it's so funny because Lisa Gay Hamilton when I watched, I was like, oh my god, it's so great they got to work together. And then I remembered she's in Honey Dripper, which is yeah. another yeah. great, 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 great movie, super underrated. Charles Dutton, I think Danny Glover's in there, and it's like Lisa Gay is amazing in that movie. But but go for sisters, she's the full lead basically. And she's great along with Yolanda yeah. Ross and uh, and Eddie Jimmy almost and like. And um and just that's a happy endings reference for those who know. <laughs> if you those know, you know. know. If you know, Eddie you know. Jimmy. I don't think he likes to be called Eddie Jimmy almost. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing. I, another thing with Go for Sisters, without overly spoiling it, is there's a there's a third act decision that made me smile when it reminded me. And this is a little spoiler, but that's okay. It reminded me of. Quinn Tarantino tells a story about when, so he sold True Romance as part of, you know, you know, whatever, he sold True Romance, sold Natural Born Killers, took the money, met Harvey Keitel, used all those kind of elements to basically make what became Reservoir Dogs. They obviously made True Romance, they made, uh, they made Natural Born Killers years later. Tony Scott made True Romance, and in the original script of True Romance, Clarence and Alabama die. Right. And Tony... Scott, she chooses to let them live and give them a happy ending. 
And he just said to Quarantino, he's like, I fell in love with the kids too much. I had to let them live. Right. Which I always love that because Tony Scott's, he, you know, for all of the action filmmaking, he, he always was a very, a very um, hard on his sleeve director. Sure. Right. Yeah. I always love that story. And it, go for scissors i wanted as sales like did you just fall in love with these ladies and their plight because the ending is probably it's a lovely. little happier yeah. than the tone of the movie suggests yeah and i could certainly see critics scoffing at the end and being like oh that's not what we were promised sure whereas like i certainly watch it and i'm like even on a rematch like again pleasantly surprised because yeah. i was like convinced myself i was like oh no this is and then you're like oh my god but i wonder because sales is so involved it's like he you know like you said he writes the biographies he edits the movies like i could totally see him being like yeah i fell in love with these gals you know who went for I sisters could also back see in the a day world. i mean he mentioned the location stuff for instance he also seems like the kind of guy that would like find a moment that works and like maybe they like found that location i don't know like i could just see a world where he's like yeah i could just end the movie like that like do you know like i don't know like it totally it, it feels again naturalistic like he kind of just does what feels right and he he just has like i'm i'm, I'm like envious of his instincts right it's like oh well, so, yeah. so incredibly I mean, impressive and even for just, a movie like yeah. like uh what's it called uh, so we we also talked briefly about a movie he made about the american philippine war uh Amigo. Yeah, at the turn of at the turn of the would it be the twentieth century, the yeah. nineteen yeah. the year nineteen hundred. Yeah, you know, just a fully unknown war, as we talked about, as, as you already heard, Amigo, which is an interesting film, and you know, he, yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, and he, you know, he works with like a largely Filipino crew and whatever, but even that movie finds these these pockets of like. I don't know, just like incredible nuance. Garrett Delahunt, we didn't really dwell on it, but he's like incredible in the movie, I think. Because um, he yeah, just and that has like, and that, and also that, so that has like the opposite of what that has like a Gallipoli ending, right? Where it's like, yeah, like, but, but what I was going to say is it goes back to his like very literary sensibilities because the way that yeah. ending plays out plays out with like a deep sense of tragic irony right like yeah and, and it's funny and it's, because and it's weird because amigo and gopher sisters got like respectful reviews but like compared good, to his other movies yeah but but it's weird compared to his other movies there just wasn't a big space for them and it really has me wondering i'm like they are good movies and it's weird it's like is is it has the market changed so much that even the criticism that comes with it has changed? Like that was one thing I kind of was like, are, are like political films, are they like, are, is the appetite even for those types of films? just not the same. It's weird. Cause you know, he made a movie in 04 called, called silver city. It's like Chris Cooper's kind of playing. It's like, I, I haven't, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's like, he's basically playing kind of like a bushy Bush ish conservative, like, you know, and it's his most directly like politically satirical film and similarly kind of got like hem haw reviews. And you're like, man, is it just, did the times just change? And like, even, even in an art house crowd, like hitting the nail on the head in that respect, people just don't react to the same way. Because I'm like, I think I'm that's part of it. I, I think part. I don't of what, know, because yeah, I, I think part of what makes Lone Star 
so lasting is that it has like it is like a western genre noir. sensibility yeah. right? and I even guess, if but you're Gopher not sisters has that i know? agree I, I would i was gonna say i would encourage uh, yeah. if you like lone star i would encourage Gopher sisters is like a, si- seek out like Gopher a sister sisters. movie yes, yeah i think so too. definitely same yeah, thing i think so same too. thing with limbo limbo like limbo is becomes like a biggest deep, like adventure deep, movie yeah, yeah. deeply a genre movie and like but even like brother from another planet is an early movie amazing like crazy independent film like gung-ho stealing all the locations just cool as hell movie with joe morton who he worked with all who he works with all the time and then like and then yeah we mentioned it sunshine state's like an epic of we'll talk about real estate oh my god about like florida you know real estate gentrification i mean just an incredible picture angela bassett just never been better and uh and edie falco oh my god just can i mean I, i'm rewatching the sopranos right now and it's like the fact that edie falco like left the set of the sopranos and went to florida to play a character who like could not like could not be more different than carmelo sure. Supra- yeah, like yeah. edie falco never gets enough credit she what a crazy like actress like in in, in that sales movie you're just like what like that must have just been on the break she just must have went down well, to florida for that, a month and like so many crushed, that's what and so many carmelo. of the performances in his movies feel like where you're just kind of like like letting these great actors just like like hit home runs yeah it's wild and then go back to like whatever show or whatever it's wild. You know, not you just, Car- carmel is amazing I'm, but you know it's like what i love too is how you know specifically in his even even in his genre work everything feels normal right like nothing ever gets to like exceedingly high drama which is why the movies still work right like sure. even in limbo when they go into survival right. limbo, mode you could, you could make some notes that would maybe critique that but i, I, I but i agree I with was you say, on even, that but even I, for yeah. being like trapped in the wilderness they're like generally more chill about it than like a straight up adventure well, than like say I'll, the edge I'll tell you, or something one, I, you know like yeah, one right right that's a that's actually yeah, a good like, comp one cool thing about limbo which i do like which once again does speak to your, kind of what you're talking about um they're like not that far away yeah it's, from it's that's what the it's, point yeah. of it is because you're up there mm-hmm. and everything's extreme and they just don't have a boat right so it's it's just literally as simple as like look like we're not we didn't go that far and right. we got away and we're on an island that does have shelter, but it's like the wrong time of the year. Yeah. The water's too cold. And nobody comes and nobody comes here. Right. It's nobody like, comes to this island. Yeah. So even though, you know, we're not that far, right? It, you know, in a way, Jerry, right, kind of the underrated Gus Van Zant masterpiece is kind of similar where it's like in Jerry, they get lost, you know, yeah. in a bad area. But they are hiking and they're not that far from anything, but because they're lost, it's like, well, you're and they, lost. Like, didn't you don't bring have any food. With you don't have water. Yeah. You weren't ready. It's that, it's and that so, razor's edge between. Right. Well, like you know, we're good. And then we're so not good. Yeah. Right. 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 Which, you know, like I'm, we're from a place where, you know, it, there's enough wilderness. I, in my younger, dumber years, certainly got, close enough to those worlds of like doing a dumb thing and then all of a sudden like i remember i got we all went to like a we all went to like a a falls where you could jump off like 50 feet and you know and that alone is the dumbest fucking thing in the world and we were like doing that and having fun and then me and like two idiot friends decided to like with no shoes you know we went on one of these hikes that was available around the area yeah yeah and fully got lost. Right. And fully it was five o'clock at night. And fully yeah. then it's five thirty. And fully the sun setting. And all of a sudden you're like, um, 
So if the sun goes down, right, and none of us brought our cell phones, right, cell phones, flashlights, like, whatever, are we yeah. gonna die? You know, and you're yeah. not, and no, we didn't, but... and we found our way out. But like, you all of a sudden are like, oh, you know. It's getting a little cold. You go from even, York, you go from even right? keel to like red alert yeah. pretty quickly. And you're kind of yeah. like, huh? I'm not gonna freak out, but certainly yeah. we are approaching the area code of we're in some real trouble here. And I think you're <laughs> totally right. Limbo does a great job of really like underlining how quick that can happen, and even just the casual nature of like to your point, these are real people of like you know a, a half brother you know who comes into play who kind of is becomes the catalyst for this danger that Shatharen and you know the two ladies find themselves in all very all happens kind of without any control of the lead characters it's like almost separate from them yeah. and they walk into it and I do think um City of Hope has a lot we didn't talk about City of Hope but City of Hope is kind of a sprawling it's kind of a sprawling look at a metropolis and certainly an interesting movie in the context like it comes out the same time that movie that Lawrence Kasdan movie Grand Canyon comes out which is like not the same thing but but like Kasdan kind of was making like you know Kasdan made the big chill which was yeah. like Hollywood's Sakaka 7 right yeah and yeah. I always think it's interesting <laughs> that then 10 years later um Kasdan made Grand Canyon which is kind of like Hollywood City of Hope and I do wonder <laughs> if sales is ever like this fucking Larry Kasdan like get off my ass dude what are you doing he like, did say he, my he did say he wanted to make a western so he must be really mad that Silverado Silverado yeah. yeah he's like I'm gonna get Costner I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Glenn I'm gonna get Glover they're all still alive aren't they Kevin Glenn's still alive yeah. get them all get them back. all get them all Goldorado uh, Klein would be a really good sales actor sure. I think yeah. probably I mean Klein you know I think yeah, I mean, there's a tra you know traditionally trained nature to sales. He was an actor. He met Strathairn, I think, in college. You know, so you know, sales wrote books, right? I continues to write books. Like he, he, there's a lot of like traditional qualities, and I do think Klein is like the example of like you know theater perfect actor who also briefly became a movie star, right? And I think it's a great point. I would love to see a Kevin Klein John Sales movie. I'd love to see one more John Sales movie. Yes. Let us, yeah. Yeah. like with Carl Franken, like with Wayne Wang. Like, just one more. Get one let more Let us out, just John. manifest. These, are, these guys yeah. are getting older. Let's Let get him one. Make, Let's I get want two him more. to make his Western. I, that's what I want for him. Let's get the Western done. Yeah. Let's get it done, guys. All right, so let's make a couple calls. All right, so we're ending the episode. Here's the plan. So we're going to all, all listening. We're going to just make a couple calls, okay? couple calls each. We'll just call a couple people, anybody who might know Johnny Sales, anybody who might know money people, pass it around. Maybe someone start a Kickstarter. GoFundMe, maybe. GoFundMe. Just a GoFundMe that's totally separate. It's just get John Sales' Western made, and then they get an email from like two months from now. Say, hey, man, I know we had a good time on the B-side episode. Are you going to give me this money? I see that you're trying to get me... Give me just four grand. Like, yeah, John, that's the plan, but Four um, grand, a whopping four grand hey man, that you we'll, invented we'll, hey, in that Four grand scenario. is better than zero grand. <laughs> better than zero. That is true. That uh, is true. But anyway, go seek his movies out. Um, you yeah, know, you won't. You just you won't be disappointed. I. I this disappointed. is like the most fun I've had pre preparing for any episode we've ever done. Because, like I said, I was I've seen some of his movies and and I like the ones that I've seen. But I really I feel like every consecutive movie I watched, I was like, oh, is he just like, yeah, one of the best ever? Like it kind of quietly. I, I think um, he quietly is a living icon. 
Like, I really do think he, he, you know, I think in a world of Soderbergh's and Spike Lee's, sure, yeah. you know, who are great independent auteurs, God knows. You know, unfortunately, I think the Saleses, you know, and the Martha Coolidge's and the Nancy Savakas and, you know, like the, you know, the... You know the What's Coolidge uh, up to oh, these days. Let's get Coolidge on the B side. something, and even like, and even oh my god, Gas Food Lodging, Allison Anders, right? Like, a lot of these directors who were part of that movement, you know, they just never, you know, they never had a, you know, sales had more success than the people I've named, obviously. Sure. But, but similarly, you kind of fall into like. There's like a specialty element to the fandom, which I think is is in its own way nice and special, and what a nice thing to be able to. We you hope you listening can discover this person and like, and it's like literally has a movie for you know watch Secret of Roninish with your kid, watch Lone Star with your partner, watch Limbo just for you, right? Watch City of Hope with your liberal friends, you know, yeah. like you know show your <laughs> nice, weird nice, grandfather very specific call out. <laughs> No, but I mean, yeah. like, watch, you know, watch, watch Silver City with your, you know, preju prejudicial dad, you know, yeah, see sure. if you can sure. get some stuff flowing, you know, like, he, he, he really, not unlike a Wayne Wang, actually, he really has made everything. And I think, you know, Wayne Wang obviously made big Hollywood movies, too. But like, it's just, it's just really interesting. And the Corman connection brings it right back to the Corman. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Carl Franklin, all these people, it's like unbelievable um all the influence and i hope yeah i just hope i hope we see now yeah i hope we see now something where it's like someone will give him five five mil you know he give him two he throws in three he makes his western you yeah. know i don't know we'll see but pleasure to cover him pleasure to talk to him and as always i'll pass over to canada to wrap it up as we prep for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. So after this, uh, well, first you can find us on social at TFS B side. Um, in terms of what's going on, as of this recording, I will have just reviewed the Beekeeper. Uh, kind of a fun picture. Buzz, you know? buzz. Yeah, kind of a fun picture. Um, and a hit, and like a hit. I, look, it's I'm just as we're recording. Them, you know? It's got a. I mean, you Statham. Yeah, I, you never know what to we expect should do with a the state, action. We should he do a Statham part two. We should. Uh, we the thing with Statham though is he, he hasn't made a standalone actioner like this in a while. No, that's why I, I mean ultimately that's where which I, I do think I, is why I it's land, doing better. Yeah, that's why actually. I landed as positive on the movie because because I do think I, people are kind of like we're already buzz buzz baby. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I remember watching Fast X last year and thinking like and he pops up for it and then you know he pops up in it for two seconds right and I just remember thinking like oh yeah this dude just sort of like feels trapped for the most part and like even other two, things which is his and franchise there's moments but you're kind of like that's oh, also yeah, mostly is, like an ensemble movie kind like of so yeah. watered down yeah. and like he's got a couple no, moments this is but like it is a, just kind this of this is a like a proper statham it's a proper yeah, statham so i'm excited uh yeah, yeah so watch it and you can uh you can check out my review uh and oh and also we should say i mean if you're listening sundance is literally right around the corner oh, so yes yeah me yeah, and sure. jordan will so be there a couple other great film stage coverage will be happening we're already reviewing stuff we're you know we're and uh yeah and we'll be, review it all you know look out for it be sure to uh check out that criterion 4k blue of lone star it's great and uh Coming up, we will be doing uh, one of our many audience choice on uh, Jodie Foster, who's having a moment between the Nyad and the Night Country. 
Um, so we'll be uh, we'll be doing that in a couple weeks. Keep an eye out for that. That's it. Um, that's it. And that's all. DJ Mecca on the socials. Until next time. Until next time. We all love a good deal, but we definitely love our sales. And now you're listening to the B-Side.